Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyber Labs, and today we're lucky enough to have Todd Hoffmaster with us. Todd is the CEO and co-founder of Akita Box. Box is quite a great idea. It's a SaaS application for proactive building management. So essentially, they automate maintenance, planning, and inspections to help us simplify building management. And we'll learn a lot more about that. But we'll also learn more about Todd and his background, including his days on the mat as a wrestler. And Todd has a great background to start something like Akita Box. So this interview is actually in person, which is kind of unusual, and it's a little nerve-wracking because we can actually make eye contact. <laughs> And so we'll see how this goes. So uh, Todd, thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you. So uh, before we get into Akita Box, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Uh, sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned my wrestling background, so I actually wrestled for uh, 20 years, wrestled in college, University of Wisconsin here, was fortunate to be part of a, a team. Um, at the University of Wisconsin, I studied uh, business, um, unfortunately, uh, for me, anyways, business was not, uh, it didn't come second nature and um, decided to try my hand with something a little bit more creative and, and transferred to the University of Minnesota, got my architecture degree as well as construction management degree from University of Minnesota, Twin Cities. So uh, that's kind of my background. I started to be an architect, practiced architecture for quite some time, uh, worked for a, a very large technology company. Um, implementing different types of technology in the built environment, the built world for another six years. Um, Which they, company was that? Uh, Mortensen Construction. It was Mortensen. Okay. It was yeah. Mortensen, yeah. Okay. So then uh, moved on to consult across the country um, with different facility owners, building owners, building management teams, different contractors looking to implement different technologies and really assist them um, uh, with with the ever-changing environment that technology has. Nice. All right. So go, if you go back to the your wrestling days, which I'm kind of fascinated because the re wrestlers are kind of psycho, but in a, in a good, fun way. Um, we are psycho. Yeah, we're, yes. <laughs> uh, especially back then when they had, you, like you could starve yourself, right? That's changed now. But yes, yeah. yes. The food. Uh, I, I to this day I, I I eat because I have to, not because I want to, which are is a little, a little different. <laughs> really? So that has carried over. It has. It is. There's a mean mean streak. To, uh, to wrestling that uh, has carried over into uh, my business and personal life. So could you uh, um, not eat for a while if you didn't need, if you didn't need to? If, like I, if I was stranded on a desert yeah. island somewhere, I could probably make do for quite some time. Nice. <laughs> as, long, as long as you knew a weigh-in was coming. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I'm just curious, how did you initially get into, into wrestling? Yeah, um, so... I had some cousins that liked to wrestle, and I was always fascinated with a one-on-one -on -one type of uh, uh, sport that that was. Yeah. Uh, it, it did have some function of a team sport, but there was nothing like being alone on a mat with somebody else trying to, lack of a better term, beat you up. Um, <laughs> and you either taking it to them or they taking it to you. So there was always a draw for me for that to uh, really you know, um, to go down that road of, of being either alone or being part of uh, doing it yourself and, and not having anybody else really help you. Um, 
for me anyways, I really enjoyed that. Huh. Interesting. And do you, uh, do you remember the first time you won? I don't. Okay. No, right. no, that was been a long time. That was. <laughs> I know. I know most of my losses. If that makes any. Oh really? Yeah. Any, you probably didn't lose sense. a lot if you wrestled here at UW. I, I lost my fair share, but yeah. I, what I, was the I, toughest loss? The toughest loss was my senior year in high school uh, to get to state. I ended up uh, losing a very close match. I made a really stupid mistake. I, I played over and over. It's been almost twenty years, <laughs> but I still play it in my head. That's. You sound like the rest of us. Yeah. What was the mistake? Uh, Let's put it out there. Made it all. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> the guy shot inside single, and I tried to shoot, uh, basically step over the top, and I was a little too slow, and I knew it, and I didn't uh, cover up. So he took me down with about a second and a half left and ended up beating me by one. Oh, my goodness. So that, that's complete mumbo-jumbo to me. But, <laughs> but we won't, this isn't a wrestling podcast, so we'll move on, but I love it. All right. That's what I wanted. Um all right, so I'm curious, when you started out as an architect, you know, what type of, or like throughout your career, what kind of buildings did you design? Yeah, so um, starting out as an architect, you really don't get to design much. You get to be a part of a lot. So for mm. me, um, that was part of the learning experience. Mm -hmm. uh, initially, I was doing basically bathroom details uh, for, <laughs> for commercial buildings that, in essence, the one, one floor are always the same, and it was not fun. There was no creativity. Um, but I got into residential architecture, hmm. um, and so that was a little bit more, uh, a little more exciting. But in the same sense, it was very subjective, because, you know, sitting husband and wife, someone's designing a house, I'm designing a house for them. They one likes it, one hates it. You know, mm, there's no wow. reason, rhyme or reason. <laughs> and so, for me, being more of an engineering mind or engineering background or engineering frame of mind it was very frustrating for me having that subjective feedback and not and not understanding what what path forward to take so yes yeah that's that's not easy uh do you remember any homes that you built or designed or any part of a home they're like wow this is really cool they should really do this yeah um actually i designed my sister's house oh um, no way yeah oh, wow. yeah exactly <laughs> so she she built it um and first time i stepped in into the framing of the house, I was like, "Oh my gosh, what did I just do?" There was an area that I screwed up on, and so we, um, I spent the weekend actually ripping that down no because I felt oh. bad. Um, it was it was a mistake of mine, but we learned from our mistakes, so um, it turned out great. So they're still living there today, which is great. It was oh, fun. that's cool. So well, that speaks uh, highly of uh, what you'll do to make make, make your customer happy <laughs> and your sister. And my sister, happy awkward Thanksgiving. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very awkward. She still reminds me of that, and I still remind her that I fixed it. So yeah. it's a good situation. Exactly. It, that's a win-win. Um, all right, and then before we get into the Kita box, what is there? Do you have like one experience that you really enjoyed in your career, or something that was influential that you that you use now? Or um, yeah. So there was. Um, I was fortunate to be one of the first. Um, projects in the country that was uh, interdisciplinary, mm -hmm. meaning that it was a tri-party agreement between owner, architect, contractor, mm -hmm. which was the Wisconsin Institute for Discovery. And my role there was really leading and pushing technology. Um, I was fortunate to have some of the best and brightest minds, not only in uh, the Midwest region, but around the country that we were consulting with. So I got to see firsthand how they dealt with uh, um, different cultures, different issues, different minds, different ideas, and bringing all that together to actually do something that rarely has been done before. Oh. So 
it was really, really exciting. I'll take that experience and those relationships with me for life. Um, in fact, I speak to a majority of those individuals really? still wow. uh, frequently um, as we grow a keto box. So, uh, was there? Do you have an example of why or you know what came up in yeah. the discussion or design that was so interesting? Yeah. So there's um, as a if anybody's a designer out there, they they would know that there's always this. Um, kind of push back from construction design, what's feasible, what's not, with the owner in the room. And so we were having very uh, frank conversations about what this building needs to be, what it should be, what the vision of this building is. And for me, um, being a part of what the vision is and then uh, being part of the solution to reach that vision, mm -hmm. it was something that I'll never forget. But um, there's a couple different opportunities for us to uh, have a decision be made that moved away from that vision. One was uh, some of the designs of the actual internal of the building um, being only one bathroom, just like the Apple, mm. you know, Steve Jobs, yeah. right? They wanted, <laughs> uh, they wanted a lot of uh, cross-disciplinary com communication across the um, the tech uh, that would be in this facility. And uh, I remember vividly a lot of conversations surrounding, you know, would any why, why. How do we create that one bathroom? One for bath communication. Yeah. Well, no. It's, okay. It's it's in one area of the building. Oh, so, so everyone would go. Everyone would oh, have to go to one area of the building in order to. And then, so the idea was just like Steve Jobs. The idea was is that they would start communicating, talking, yeah, water cooler yeah. talk, and those types of things. And we sat around the table and say, would this really work? Yeah. And well, how would it work? And then the second thing on top of that was. Um, the building was four stories and it was too tall, meaning in the state of Wisconsin here, it would be considered a high rise, which came mm. with it a bunch of mm. different issues. And so for us, we were able to reduce the overall vertical height by using different technologies and that was a win. Uh, we didn't, there was a lot of skepticism um, that we could actually do it and we ended up doing it, so. So you reduced the height? Yep. By, but you kept it four floors? Yep. By uh, using between, technology? Yep, yeah. between, between different, the, different the floor types, yep. Interesting. Yeah. So wow. No one thought we could do it, um, and we were, we challenged ourselves that we could do it, and we ended up getting it done. So that was really wow. awesome. And what happened in the bathroom? Did you? Uh, bathroom mistake. One bathroom. bathroom one bathroom. One. Right? Well, two men and women bathroom, but in one area yeah. of the building. So, um, I know the people on the east or west side of the building. Sorry about that. Not, not my decision, but we ended up they making it work. Walk. <laughs> <laughs> you could have done. I, I was in this this uh, like bar club one time a while back, and. Uh, in, it was in, I think it was in Chicago, they had a, um, I think it was in like a Hotel W, that in the women's and men's bathroom, they had like windows, so you could see each other like washing hands. Oh, so you could have done that, you could have like... That would be... <laughs> that would be scandalous. That would be scandalous. I don't know if that would fly in the state of Wisconsin no. in a university building, but uh, that's... That, that that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's, that's something. And I wonder how many more ideas have... Uh, been uh, created now because of the, that bathroom design. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should, you'll never know. Never you can know. only guess. There's been millions. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, yeah, let's talk about Ketobox. Sure. And uh, yeah, it'd be awesome if you gave us. I mean, the first time I heard about Ketobox, right away I was like, oh, that's a good idea. If there's not a lot out there like it, that's a pretty uh, clever idea. And uh, so if you could uh, just kind of describe a Ketobox and then sure. you know. Money raised. I think we can come back to this investor, employees, co-founders, but uh, sure. yeah, the background. So yeah. the um, uh, the genesis of Akita Box was really 
we were, again, back in my day when we were consulting across um, the industry from contractors to owners and what have you, there wasn't a simplified way that a lot of information that is required to really maintain the building was collected. So the collection process was just a disaster, and it's still a disaster, um, and that's what we're trying to disrupt. But so the collection, so Akita Box really collects, organizes, and analyzes building data and documents in one unified, simplified location. Um, we use locations to be able to uh, really go through the data in a way that makes sense to the people actually putting the data together, um, and then we report on that information to be able to um, again see where. Uh, either data deficiencies are or uh, where data uh, collection process can be improved. And what type of data are you collecting? In? Anything really about buildings. So if you think about if an owner really cares about the space or custodial, so you're, you're talking about floor type, wall type, mm. um, number of fixtures and those types of things that, that is uh, reinforced into a FTE schedule or a, a full-time employee of how fast they can clean, what the building type is, what's the room typology. Um, in healthcare, that's a big deal, right? Because turnover of rooms, the room types, their money maker, how things work. All the way to different assets, different pieces of equipment. Would it huh. be static pieces of equipment or dynamic pieces, meaning pieces that of equipment that can maybe uh, move around a little bit. So static piece of equipment from uh, everything from camera uh, station security cameras mm. to large multi-ton uh, air handling units so and oh, all right and so how are uh, uh, building uh, I can't engineers I was gonna say but yeah the building leads how, how are they managing all this data now what's yeah the, what's kind of the state of the art? Uh, the state of the art <laughs> is still a piece of paper that this nice notebook that you have in front of us um, <laughs> and people still to this day they believe in it they can feel it they can touch it That's and crazy. so uh, there we've walked into I don't think we've ever seen one of our clients be completely paperless and so wow. they constantly have paper now they might have it in digital format as well but a lot of times that information in digital format is not available so they'll They'll walk around with paper, pencil, pen. Um, they take notes on a uh, 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 cell phone, and they just take notes, and then they regurgitate that back into something else. They use Excel. Um, we have one client, I won't name the name, but they have an Excel f basically master format of almost a million lines and it kills oh, Excel and they have to get goodness. different computers to be able to handle it and there's only a few that can handle it. So um, it's all over the map. It, it really is. Uh, some of our more sophisticated ones have very complex uh, data structures that three quarters of the data is not populated because they don't use it huh. to actually manage their bill. What's more complex or what would it be? Um, some of the complex, I mean, you're talking 50 to 100 data fields per asset oh, that wow. they're trying to collect, oh, right? Goodness. Because they felt like in the day, back in the day, it was the right thing to do. And they've never sat down to understand that if it's in my system and it should, it should, should or should it not uh, be collected. And so a lot of times what we're actually doing with our system is uh, approaching it in a different way where you're with a very select few data fields, you get a lot of uh, value from that and you don't need everything because there's a lot of stuff associated with different documents and different fields but uh, you only need a, a certain amount of fields to be actually do your job to maintain the building appropriately huh 
So what would be an example of a, let's say the 50 fields and how many fields do you take it down to? And what are you capturing? Yeah, um, so I'll take, uh, give me an example of, let's say a uh, large air handling, a large piece of equipment. Um, so for you, you out there that maybe own a home or have a um, apartment complex air conditioner, right? So an air conditioner probably make model number and then uh, install date um, and maybe warranty for okay. that, right? Or, or maybe standard operating procedure, what needs to happen when for appropriate maintenance to occur. Uh, that's a very select field. That's not a whole lot, right? No, no. But now all of a sudden, some of the individuals from large complex systems, you're getting into coil size and you're getting into, uh, you know, run uh, size fittings and those types of things that these guys are trying to input in. Um, really, a lot of that information is contained in the manuals O&M, some of the documentation, and very rarely does that information relevant unless a catastrophe happens. Mm. So they're collecting more information that doesn't mean anything. Interesting, okay. Does that make sense? No, that makes sense. <laughs> um, so, and I have some more background questions. Before we do yeah. I'm curious how, so kind of walk us through when you bring on a new client, how, you, what type of audit do you do and what type of information do you bring to the system or how, how does that yeah. work? Because like, you mentioned a lot of stuff, you know, like around outlets and like yeah. walls and stuff. And so like, Depending on the, on the client, but we try to start with what's most important to them, okay. number one. Um, because if we can't prove our value immediately, it's hard to justify going to an outlet or going down to yeah. a, a, a more granular detail, right? Yeah. So we start with what's most important to them and what they're struggling with. A lot of times it's life safety. So meaning hmm. uh, what is the, what needs to happen inside of a building to keep it up and running? Just like, in my opinion, just like humans, buildings are living, breathing things, right? It yeah. has water, yeah. air, uh, and if those things aren't working, uh, the building's falling apart, the building is in decay. And, um, and so these controlled systems are very important uh, to the life cycle. Uh, and again, it depends on the typology of the building. Would it be uh, healthcare, uh, uh, K-12, higher education, laboratory facility, um, or a commercial building such as this? Um, there's different needs. And so you kind of have to understand from an owner's perspective what their needs actually are to make sure the building's kept up. Makes sense. Okay. so. What would be, and I, of course, keep asking examples because I'm just curious. Is yeah, yeah. What, you know, you talk about kind of the, the life issue what, with like K through 12 or an office, but what would be like the key assets or the things Yeah, so K-12 is, is pretty simple. If in case of emergency, what needs to go right oh, in order okay. to get All people right. out, right? <laughs> so uh, K-12, it's, um, it's emergency, it's strobes, uh, hmm. sirens. Uh, again, the criticalness of making yeah. sure those are operational. And there is a legal aspect. They have to prove that they've been monitored and maintained. Exit lighting, all those types of, of again, things that, to, to, that need to happen in case of an, an issue or emergency yeah. that needs to happen. Um, and so fire safety walls, um, uh, different fire dampers, basically mm -hmm. shut off airflow to certain spaces that require it in order to contain the air so it suffocates the fire. So again, like there's, there's buildings are actually, you guys out there listening, buildings are very complex, even though they like lay, may look simple on the outside. They're very, very complex on the inside and how they should operate and how they need to operate effect effectively. Huh. So K-12, yeah, it's all about fire safety. 
uh, smoke safety, keeping the kids safe. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, it's amazing they don't probably do a, a little better job documenting all this because you think that would be helpful and yeah. safer for yeah, everybody. Kids. Yeah, it's <laughs> scary out there sometimes. Uh, not mean to scare the parents out there. I'm a, I'm a parent, but a little bit is okay. Yeah, yeah, a little bit's okay. I'm a parent of two, so um, the fight. You know, you walk into any building, you see an evacuation plan, yeah, right? Right, right? So, so a lot of that information has to keep up, get kept up to date. If they make huh. changes, they have to. It's 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 state law here in Wisconsin. It's pretty much federal law to make sure those things are kept up. Okay. So do you guys take into account the state and federal laws? Because I imagine like at a hospital, like a backup generator is probably pretty important. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you don't want to yeah. be in surgery and no, power right. go out, right? So my <laughs> wife's a nurse and um, yeah, that's a very important thing. It, is, it doesn't matter yeah. the time or day. There's emergencies that happen every minute of every second everywhere in the world. So uh, making sure those backup systems are operational and tested appropriately. Yeah. So. yeah. Okay. Interesting. And all right, so let's go a little bit more background that just for the, the audience, you know, how, sure. the money raised, investor, and number of employees, your co-founders, and whatever's confidential is fine. You know, yeah, just, no worries. Um, we actually, um, we started talking a little bit before we started the podcast, so we're actually a little bit unique here in the Midwest, and we're corporately incubated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, meaning there was a larger um, entity that we started this um, this software under, um, and we started developing. We had some funds internally. Um, we're using revenues from one uh, company that we were growing to basically grow this new product line, and we realized that there was a lot of opportunity to not necessarily share the risk, but there's a lot of opportunity to grow our our company software side faster. And in order for us to do that, um, based on where we were as a consulting company, we realized that the best way to do that is to take external capital. So we actually submitted uh, as a new company, um, taking all our own intellectual property and everything we developed internally. So we negotiated that release from our existing company, um, started a new company last year, uh, August 7th is when we officially incorporated. We actually got into... uh, Generator, which here in the Midwest is a one of the top uh, 15 accelerator programs in the country. Um, so we're excited to get that. And we use that as a jumping on point to get uh, capital. So we got some early investment with the Generator Accelerator Program. Um, it's a, They gave us $140,000 to jumpstart. From there, we were able to bring majority of our software development team that we um, the co-founders, as you mentioned, so there's three of us, four okay. of us actually, um, over into Akita Box and are able to keep us afloat a little bit more um, <laughs> and give us some runway. And then from there, we were uh, fundraising. Um, it took us a, quite a, a long time to uh, find the right partner. It wasn't like we had the right, um, the opportunity to take funding right away, but we wanted to make sure we found the right partner for us and in our deficiencies within our co-founders as well as the opportunity for partnership and growth. So um, as new, basically, startup individuals, we didn't have any startup experience uh, of really starting a business. We had experience in operations, experience in consulting, experience in sales. We had experience in software development, but actually truly running a software business, we really didn't have that. And so we, we were very picky, right, wrong, or indifferent to select the right investor. Um, okay. And so we ended up uh, closing our round of $1.1 in funding 
uh, would be last year in June, if I have that date correct. <laughs> Close enough. Close enough. <laughs> and, um, and we took on a singular investor, not groups of investment. So we had an opportunity to take, um, you know, $20,000 here, $40,000 there, $50,000 there. But for looking at the long-term vitality of our business and, and specifically the next couple rounds of funding, it was important for us not to just take the money and, and run. It was important, more important for us to have the right partner. And yes, hopefully they had money to help us grow. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully. Yes. Um, yep. And did you think about kind of the follow-on rounds? Like would this current investor ever follow on with some investment at least? May not full, of course, but. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And that was the enticing part is a lot of times that, you know, what we reached out into the community here uh, of startup investment is a lot of times these 20,000, 50,000, they don't have the finances to really fund a next round, right? Um, yeah. Nor if they're only gonna put in 50,000 or 20,000, would they have the um, the energy to help a, a, a growing company, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So the more money they put in, the more invested they are emotionally in, make, in making sure that we're successful. And so that's another kind of hidden reason why we went the route that we did is okay. to make sure that we had people not just financially invested, but emotionally invested in our success. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, does the investors help you, the investor, yeah. singular help you in uh, other ways besides? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, um, we're fortunate we meet with them every, uh, every week. We're trying to meet with wow. them every week. Wow. Um, every impressive. other week we meet with uh, their, uh, a couple of select individuals that we can talk through our issues. Uh, openly so they know where we're at. Um, they help us set up some um, financials, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so they're almost like an employee wow. uh, of, of ours uh, that we don't have to pay, right? <laughs> um, which is exciting. But, you know, we have, we have issues that come up with HR, and, and we're able to tap into their HR director and ask mm. a few questions without issue, you know. So it's, it's really a true partnership. And for them, what they get out of that is they get um, not only a, a part equity um, of Akita Box, but also um, since they're more a little bit more established company or established kind of individuals, they get to see and work with millennials, if you want to call us yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. in a way that you know they haven't before. And they get to ask very um, direct questions about issues they might be having with some of their, some of the people that they employ at their various jobs that they have. So we're able to help them as well um, in educating them how we go about our culture and everything else. So Interesting. Sounds like a, sounds like a good partner. Um, that's hard to find, that's for sure. And it took some time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you're a choosy, which is key. And a lot of times people aren't, and then, yeah, they regret it. Yeah. I, I was curious with the, you know, you said there's four founders. Uh, how, how did you figure out your roles? And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of they had first there was a lot of overlap. Um, I am not a software developer, so that okay. was easy. That was, that was that was clear. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. I, you know, if you guys couldn't tell, I, I know a lot about the industry. One of my other co-founders yeah. is very technical okay. in the industry, um, very highly respected inside the industry. His name is Josh. Um, he was also one of the, the main brainchilds of this of this company, jump starting it, and. Um, you know what where he lacks I pick up okay. and where I lack he picks up um, and same thing with uh, Luke one of our other co-founders he's got a background in enterprise sales enterprise marketing and what have you I've never done that before I've only yeah. been selling typically one-off but more or less I'm very personable so I can have a good one-on-one -on -one conversation yeah. with people that need it um, the 
uh, Ravi, our CTO, again, software yeah, developer. He's the, yeah, he's, yeah. he's the star of the of of the three, the rest of us. Um, and so we really pick up where each other either don't want to do or okay. what we lack. And so we we talk a lot about what we lack yeah, and yeah, where yeah. we can pick yeah. each other up more so than what we can and can't do. Okay. So an example would be um, Luke. He is very good at setting plans for sales and marketing, our sales and marketing team. He is phenomenal at it. I wouldn't know where to start. <laughs> now, I back him in certain areas that he's not necessarily um, seasoned in. And so it allows us to to be experts in what we have and tr we trust each other first and foremost. Um, and when we don't, you know, we have the ability to say, look, we're going to try this for this amount of time. And if we fail, then we're going to do something else. Yeah. So, and there's a nice. trust factor there. Well, that's a good attitude. I like it. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the, a little bit about the tech? Um, sure. And, uh, you know, how, I'm kind of curious how much was developed in this, you know, in the, where, in the other company where it's incubated. And then at what point did you bring it out? And Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, um, Inside the, the initial company before our spin-out, we actually had a, a, a very, very minute, minimal viable product that started gaining steam. And then from there, we were like, wow, we need to either see what's, um, what's out there or what this thing can do. And so we ended up hiring a consultant, huh. uh, an individual consult consultant consultant. Um, for a startup, he called himself a startup architect, right? Yeah. To help us really engineer our technology. Um, and then from there, we started hiring uh, in areas that we would need to start building out our team uh, would be, um, you know, main development, testing, and what have you. And so the software architect allowed us to go fat, very fast, very quickly. Um, which was great for us to continue to test on. Unfortunately, because we're in the enterprise side, um, looking back on that now, uh, we didn't know what we didn't know. It was just yeah, good because yeah. we failed. Right, um, right. <laughs> we're paying for some things, some decisions that we just needed to get stuff out of the door fast. Really? Okay. Right. Um, but we're correcting those as we speak. But for the <laughs> most part, we you know um, we try to go as fast as we could on the enterprise side of what who we sell to, um, we needed to have a lot of bells and whistles um, for the most part in the collection process. Um, and so we were able to uh, go fast. So our stack really hasn't changed. Um, actually, you know this, I called uh, our Robbie, our CTO before, just to make sure I had the name nomenclature right. So uh, we have a full JavaScript stack uh, Ang Angular is what we use. We use MongoDB. Um, we use uh, other various libraries. We've switched uh, JS libraries a couple times to make sure that we stayed up to date, but our database has not changed and our JavaScript stack has not changed since nice. we started. Okay. So, well, and you mentioned you made some mistakes like every company does many, many yes. times. And so, <laughs> with from those, you'll make a lot more. Yes. Uh, so, from those mistakes, how, you know, did you change your processes or did you change kind of how you think about stuff? Yeah, or, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, the, the one thing is as we took on more and more, let's say clients, if you will, um, the more we realized that we were stuck in or we had to communicate even more when things were changing fast and rapidly because we're enterprise, because our system in the built environment, we think about what we talked about, uh, the systems 
being very dynamic inside a building and very complex, well, some of, most of our users are not very techno technological, yeah. right? So yeah. if you change one button or change one thing, we were getting phone calls and what's going on, what's going on here. Well, we were we constantly needed to, right? As we improved our product, as we learned from through our customers. So that was a big issue and a big challenge. Mm -hmm. Interesting, and that's funny because like the SaaS, you know, the cloud application is awesome because you can like change it, right, and just roll it out. Yeah, but. That's the issue, <laughs> I suppose, is that uh, yeah. people don't like change, and they're cha it's changing all the time. Right, it's yeah. changing all the time if people didn't like change. And so we, uh, now we've got automated testing, which we okay. never had before, which okay. allow us to develop faster, but put out a, put out a higher quality of code. And an example is some of our, I won't tell you the, the client's name, but some of our clients, we need to be up and running because it's, if emergency happens, something mm -hmm. happened, our, yeah, yeah that information needs to be available for those people. And so we had to put in a very robust quality program internal to our software development testing, making mm -hmm. sure that we test all the scenarios, the edge cases and what have you, um, something that we never really had to think about yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. Um, user accounts, anybody out there, think about the different user accounts before you <laughs> even start developing. That it killed us. Um, because we wanted to keep it simple. Yeah, yeah. We kept it simple. We kept it way too simple for the different markets and the different things that we're in. And mm -hmm. it just, it just killed us. Because um, a lot of you guys probably have like a facilities manager, and then they have the staff, and they all want different like yeah. access to different different access yeah. to different information. Yeah. So if you think about in any software development or web application or application, you kind of have to understand who your players are and you. you users versus the people paying for it yeah. and we didn't understand that and the people that are paying for it wanted uh basic control right so who wants control of the data for us we didn't have that defined when we first started we just thought hey we'll give it to everybody because yeah. that seems easy Makes sense. easy yeah. thing to right, do right. <laughs> uh it's not going to be used if you give it to everybody um, yeah. specifically when we're talking about building information and valuable information um so interesting okay all right, and so who, I'm always curious, who's your first customer? Was it the, after you spun out, or did you have yeah. a uh, initial? Well, um, that's a great question. Uh, we were our first customer. So because huh. we were consulting, oh, okay. and because we were building our own kind of product internally, we were our own customer. Now, that was good, and that was also very bad. <laughs> um, and the reason why I say it was very bad was because we built something that didn't scale because the deficiencies were made up through the consulting work, right, and how we consulted. So we built something that, in essence, we couldn't scale without the consulting business. Mm. Does that make sense? Yep, so it sense. hindered our, uh, uh, our scalability. And we've, we've spent some time correcting that and automating okay. some things through that process. Um, the uh, first client, again, was us. Um, and again, it wasn't relatable because our users weren't techno technologically inclined. Everyone within yeah. our company was very technology-based. So we could get away with some things. Um, our first first user was Madison College here, huh? as okay. well as Edgewood College, so huh. two universities. Um, and they struggle with collecting information. In fact, we actually did the, con the collection process ourselves every day. Then we'd sit back with our developers at night and tell oh, them what wow. went right, yeah. what went wrong. Um, and from there, we 
we kept improving the process, improving okay. the steps needed to build a scalable product. Did you have relationships with Mass College in Edgewood? We did. did okay. We did. We yeah, had, that's how you got it. We yeah. did. Yeah. That's good. The guy at Edgewood College is a family friend, so oh, really? he allowed us to go on go on site and test some things out. Uh, paid, we got paid just a little bit of money to make him basically invested with his yeah, time, yeah. but definitely not what we charge now. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. That's good. That's probably good. Um, so let's see. I got so many questions, and we only have so much time. We're probably going over it, and that that's okay. Um, no worries. Uh, so I'm curious. Uh, uh, we've and this may this is, I was going to ask this later, but you know what? And we may have already talked about, but it's one 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 of the hardest parts of a keto box, and uh, so far. Yeah, um, the hardest part of the keto box so far, to be honest with you, is saying no because everyone once they see our product, there's a lot of people that say, "What's next? What's next? What's uh, next?" Right? Because after the collection process there's more valuable information in the hands of the people that need it than ever before and so hey can your software do this can your software do this well we've gotten better at saying no um but in the same sense i know we're losing an opportunity to stay like stay there if you will yeah. we i mentioned we we're very good te technically within the industry and so the process to which we implemented some of our first clients we never wrote down uh, at all, uh, yeah, because we could do it, yeah, and yeah. we never had to train or teach anybody how to do it. Right. And so our few, first few hires were, hires were not from the industry. That posed a challenge for us of how do we educate, communicate what and how we can do things, as well as you know get our these new employees up to speed. In order for us to scale, we needed to learn how to do that and document our processes. Um, that's something we, we're still struggling with today. Yeah. Um, and the reason is because, you know, each building is different. Uh, buildings are all living, breathing things, like I talked about, and each need for an owner is different. So you kind of have to understand where things, where the software, where your box can fit to add value. You don't want to just sell them a keto box without any additional value. So yeah. for us, it's a big undertaking for internal education about where and how we can sell, where and how we implement, where and how we mm -hmm. can uh, make an impact. Interesting, right? And that, that's probably a problem, with, I'm guessing, for most startups that they never document anything, right? You're just trying to like get a sale and get, get out in the field. Get and going. Later on, you're like, oh, wait a minute. Now we, have to have, now we have to tell everyone else how to do this. Right, exactly. I think, I think it's probably, if you were documented at the beginning, I mean, you might have been doing it the wrong way, and then you have to sell it. Yeah, I think that makes sense. That's well, probably... Yeah, not, and not only document, you know, the way, but you're constantly, like I said, we're constantly changing our software. So you're right. constantly changing, <laughs> you're constantly educating what those changes are coming in. And not only that, but okay, let's say our, our implementation process is five steps. We want to get down to four. We might know how to do that, but the rest of our staff might not. And so we need to have our staff basically, again, be educated on how we can automate certain that that one step process out from a development side so we have to educate our developers on what's going on so there's a communication for us is our one of our biggest challenge between our implementation of our software between on the enterprise level communication to our clients on the enterprise level sales and marketing on the enterprise level what how are we educating the industry of what we do and then all the way back to development and developers, right? They need to understand the true client issue before we go and develop something new or enhance something. So it's full circle um, communication. 
And, uh, and how do prospective clients see the value in a key to box? You mentioned the safety, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, but, and, uh, but how do you actually, there's not really an ROI necessarily, or it, it's just more. There's a lot yeah. of soft return. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And sometimes point blank, when you're sitting in front of a, a client, you say this may cost you more money for the first year. But the second, third, and fourth years, you're going to save 30, 40, 50, up to 60% of the time back. And oh, wow. so your ROI okay. might not be immediate. And that's hard for people to understand, right? Because they will always want, in this day and age, they always want immediate yeah. return. If I buy something, I want immediate yeah, return. Yeah. If I buy something, I want it to turn on, right? So there's always this immediate satisfaction. And so we're educating people that that immediate satisfaction, depending on what, where you're at with the, your data and your yeah, building yeah. information, that immediate satisfaction could be right away, and it, but it could be a year or two, a year and a half later. And so there has to be a, you have to build that trust. And how, would they save money on s uh, staff and time and, or? Efficiency, creating, yeah. yep, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Staff, right. efficiency. Um, but if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're inside of a building, if you have more areas of need, yeah. you're maintaining more. And so you might actually need more maintenance mm. people. So increasing the cost. Interesting. Um, but at least your building, longevity of your building, and the maintenance you're building, your energy costs of your building, all those should counteract and go down. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, so, got a couple more questions. One is uh, more around HR. I'm always curious. I know you're growing pretty fast. You yeah. Know, how do you know who to hire next? <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of the things that our all of our co-founders are on the table, we make it a point that we hire for need. We do not hire for want uh, because we have to feel the pain first. And we, th we all of us kind of agree that that is the right thing and the right way to actually build any business, regardless if it's a startup business or not, is you kind of have to feel the need before you hire. Um, if you hire for want, you, that could be an issue. Um, for us, that's kind of how we've approached it, and it seems to be successful for for us, again, if we see a pinch on the software or on the on the sales side, we're always constantly looking for great people. Yeah. So we yeah, yeah. we want a, a good backlog of individuals. If the right fit happens, um, based on a need, or based on a perceived need coming up, again, it's it's a balancing act. But um, finding my role is to to alleviate any issues, um, perceived issues or not, and kind of project for what our need could be and then look out two, three, four, five, six months to make sure that we're hiring the right people, making sure that we've got our internal training documentation set up, making sure that when we onboard someone, it's faster, it's more efficient for them. We've got the right team, the right culture. That's number one. Um, the right person on the right seat of the bus. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and, well, let's see. It, it, and how has your uh, hiring been going? I actually talked to you once before that... Well, that's always the case. It sounds like you do a pretty good job of uh, bringing people on, but then if they're not working out, then, you know, let them move on. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. It, um, Which is always awkward. It is very <laughs> awkward um, because, you know, you're, you're selling a vision. Yeah, yeah. And people are believing in your vision. And sometimes you can see within the first probably three or four weeks that that vision is not being kept. And or understood or really even cared about, hmm. and that's the biggest one, right? You see that it's not cared about, um, and it's hard too because you can't just hire everybody that is used to startups, 
Um, right. And so we hire a lot of people that come from the corporate entity. And so we're doing a lot of training for onboarding of what is a startup. Yeah, yeah. And because it's different than a corporate realm that they're used to. And we, uh, we, when we interview people, we ask them what a startup, what they think a startup is. Um, and so it's interesting some of the, the, the answers you get. The answers we yes. get, yeah. Yeah, actually, that'd be interesting <laughs> for everybody. Like, that would be a good, uh, so we should put, have a blog post and ask, ask 100 people, what's a startup? Yeah, yeah. yeah so, the, so I'll say that for the interview process for HR, there's two main questions that we ask. Okay. And this, will, this has been worked wonders for us, actually. One is, tell me what you think we do. What's a startup, okay. right? right? Yeah. And the second one is, uh, teach me something. Oh, I like it, yeah. And, and the reason is, is because it gets the interviewee comfortable in talking about what they actually care about. Yeah. yeah. And it can be anything. anything. So, okay. so one, of the, one of the recent ones was skydiving. The person likes, loves skydiving. It's like, well, I would never do that. But, <laughs> right. you know, they got into the detail of, you know, how to pack a, uh, a parachute. And, and it was the most intense detail discussion about that one entity and so i knew that that individual it's is detail, very yeah. attention to detail yes you better be that's yeah right exactly <laughs> so so you get to you get to hear all you know you you get you get them the interviewee in their comfort zone i'm a firm believer to get someone you don't want someone out of their comfort zone uh, in their interviews you can do that maybe on a second or third interview but in the first interview you want to get them comfortable yeah. uh, because yeah. you want them excited about the position um to which they 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 could uh, they could get yeah. So as a CEO, it's always and a fast growing startup. It's not always the easiest role. How do you um, deal with the stresses? I mean, it sounds like you have some great co-founders, but you're still a CEO. You're still kind of you know. It's yeah, a, it's a lonely job. Yes, <laughs> um, I've got a phenomenal wife, uh, two kids who I try to hug every day and night. Um, <laughs> Five and two, Morgan and Carmen. They, I try to make them as, be as goofy as possible, which keeps me sane. Nice, nice. My wife still, my wife does hate that, but uh, <laughs> she's got to put up with them. But her three kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much her three kids. Which is, I'm included in that. But um, you know, I got a good network of uh, people outside of the work environment that um, I make it a point that my cell phone is off people that i care about within our industry my co-founders know that i'm between these hours i'm not available unless something is really wrong uh, yeah. to get a hold of me call me um are you able to stop thinking about work never yeah <laughs> that's that's a problem <laughs> yeah yeah um <laughs> You know, I've, I've I got sm I got hobbies like small little hobbies that I do. Um, you know, I love golf. Um, it's very, again for me, it's very mental. Yeah, I yeah, love yeah, golf. Yeah. Um, and I, I just like I like movies because it gets me out of reality. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. You know, for me, getting out of reality is a good thing because it allows my mind to wander. And some of my best ideas come from when I'm watching a movie or something like that. It because oh, you're, you're you turn your, your you have to find an ability to turn your mind off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've str I still struggle with that, but I'm getting better at it um, because that's one of the. If you want to talk about New Year's resolution coming up, that's going to be one. that's going right. to be one. Awesome. I'll check back. And then. <laughs> All right. Last question, and uh, this is on the future. So in in five years, um, 
how do you kind of see Akita Box, the product, rolling out, and what would it be able to do or help? And Sure. Yeah. So our industry, um, there's a lot, a lot, billions and trillions of data points mm -hmm. to deal with buildings. There's billions and billions of square feet in the world. Uh, there's a new building going on right minute. If you just look outside or look across the street or anything, there's renovations going on. It's a constantly changing industry. The one thing that will help with that is uh, artificial intelligence. I mean, being able to run millions and millions and millions of different uh, algorithms on millions of different cross-referencing because built environment affects all industries uh, from industrial manufacturing uh, to the way uh, airplanes are, are built mm -hmm. or flown, they fly into airports. I mean, we live, breathe, and work, and live in, in a building. The world's our building. And so AI is really that engine that will bring a lot of those building components together. Um, not saying we're headed down the AI road, but the way that we want to collect information is, mm. could be very valuable for people in that um, uh, putting together those data points. Gotcha, okay. So. Interesting, well that makes sense. <laughs> No, that's good, and uh, right, and yeah. I mean, do do you see yourself um, in five years partnering with somebody with AI or bringing that on, or would you uh, would you sell yourself, or how how would you get it? Yeah. Um, well, my investors out there, they they yes, we want to get a good exit. Yeah, um, <laughs> the the way we imagine fitting in is really. Partnering with someone with AI, we're not. We want to be experts of what we're experts in. We don't want to branch yeah, out from yeah. that. Um, that's very dangerous as a as a newer company to start getting dabbling in areas we just don't have any expertise in, unless we're a Facebook yeah, or a Google, right? Smart. So being able to partner with someone is to understand what data fields they may be missing in their AI engine, and then making sure that our data that we're collecting is in a format that can then be useful in, in some sort of AI yeah. entity. Well, half the battle with AI is often the preparing the data. So if you can hand deliver it to them, exactly that's, uh, about the eighty percent, ninety percent of exactly. the battle. And because we're location based, and because we have the location of where, what, who has, are doing things, that's a very valuable information that someone could have. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, that's a good way. That's I think a good way to end. And uh, definitely appreciate the interview, Todd. And I don't know if I've ever met anybody who likes buildings as much as you, which is awesome. <laughs> but <laughs> appreciates them. And so, uh, I, I mean, that, that's why I said you're the perfect person to be running this company. I think you'll do uh, quite well. And, uh, yeah, thanks for t sharing your experience and sure. just learning more about, about yeah. you. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate the, the opportunity to come talk. Definitely. And thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of Flyer Labs. And I uh, hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And I guess we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. <laughs>